This is uh, Declan Shalvey, and you're listening to Creator Talks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On today's show, my guest is Declan Shalvey. Declan has an original graphic novel, an OGN, as we say in the business, being published through Image Comics, coming out in September. We're going to talk about his first creator-owned comic that he is writing, and the art is being handled by Philip Barrett, a good friend of his, colored by Jordi Belair, someone that's close to him, and letters by Clayton Cowles. The book is a complete Irish crime story set in the early 2000s, centering around Jimmy Savage, the up-and-coming gangster living in Limerick City. Declan and I talk about a host of other topics as well, but one thing I failed to do before starting the podcast was to mention to Declan that I keep my shows clean. You know, I personally don't swear on the podcast, and I normally ask my guests not to do that, but I, I failed to do that in this case. That's on me. That's my fault. So just be forewarned that on this podcast, there is some explicit language, and this podcast is also fairly raw, so I do a little bit of editing, but not too much to the final product, so... I had this conversation just hours ago, and I'm turning it around so you can hear a great conversation with Declan Shalvey. Let me know what you think of the podcast. You can reach me on social media at Creative Talks Pod or through my website, creativetalks.com, to send me feedback via email. I want to know what you think of this episode and the format. So let's get started. My conversation with Declan Shalvey on his graphic novel, Savage Town, here now on Creator Talks. Declan, welcome to Creator Talks. Oh, thanks for having me. All the buzz earlier this week was about that solar eclipse that was visible here in the contiguous United States. And there was like a 65-mile-wide path where you could see the totality of the eclipse. Now, I was not in that path, but I was able to see it with those special glasses you can buy. And mine just came in on Friday, like right before, you know, a couple days before. Nice. I was lucky because they were sold out for a while. They came back in stock. I jumped on them. Everybody had a pair. And I'll tell you what, if you did not have those glasses, and I live in Delaware, so I was north of this totality, sure. you wouldn't have even known it was happening. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you wouldn't look at the sun, but there's nothing. I mean, it got a little dark for a while, like right near the peak, but yeah. you would have just thought, oh, it's just clouds. So if someone didn't tell you, you'd have no clue. Have you ever observed a solar eclipse? And I say observed, I haven't said seen, because that would be deadly for yeah. your sight. <laughs> but have you ever observed one before in your lifetime? Um, I don't think so. I think there was one here a few years ago. But oh, I can't remember what happened, whatever it was. Because the, like, the weather's, you know, we get a lot of cloudy days and whatnot. So it might have been similar. Like, I, I didn't... I remember... I remember... Do you know what I did catch is... is um. I remember a few years ago seeing um, seeing the shadow on the sun. Mm. You could see with glasses. It didn't it didn't eclipse as such, but um, if you looked with certain glasses, you could see that there was a there was a shadow on the sun. But that was about it. It was pretty deadly. Like I mean, even with the eclipse happening, Jordy had gotten these glasses and we were looking, but I mean, we couldn't see anything. Um, we were nowhere near the totality were in Ireland. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean. It's kind of nice just seeing everybody kind of getting into science a little for even if it is for just one day. 
Oh, yeah. No, that, I learned some things about it because I never had observed an eclipse. Um, I don't think... I mean, there was one here in 79, and I, I don't think I was in the path and didn't see it, didn't know about it. My wife saw one in 99 in London, and it actually... Oh. Yeah, well, it actually was um, the totality, so it got dark. Everyone pulled over in their cars. Everything stopped, like the you know the birds stop. Everything stops, and like for a couple of minutes, it gets and it gets really cold. Like it drops ten degrees. I was trying to remember. In '99, I was seventeen. I, I can't remember. I just can't remember anything happening. To be honest, I mean, L- London though was very close to Dublin. I would have imagined if London could see it, Dublin would have. <laughs> it only lasts for a couple of minutes, so all that hype and then oh, it's gone. But uh, <laughs> that's still amazing. Like, yeah, it is. Well, the next time here is going to be twenty twenty four. So That's not too bad. I might even travel to wherever it's going to be if I plan ahead and try to see, you know, observe the entire eclipse where it's completely covering the sun. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. But it wasn't a loss. I mean, I was on a beach trip for the weekend. It was a family trip. I want to emphasize family trip, not vacation. There's a difference. What <laughs> um, <laughs> is work, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was good. The kids had fun at the beach. Uh, my son, Nolan, and my other son, Declan. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, the little guy. So he had fun, and it was his first time going to the beach. But something you might be interested in was uh, down at the Delaware beaches. They have these towers. There's several of them along the shoreline, and those were built back uh, at the beginning of World War II, 1939 to 1942. These concrete towers that they used for observation to spot ships out on the water, enemy ships. Oh, cool! Yeah, I'm just looking. At, I'm just looking up Delaware on Google Maps. I didn't. Re- I didn't realize where it was. So right, yeah, it's right below, uh, right below New York and stuff. So oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, the towers, like two towers, would triangulate the position of the ship, and they never shot at ships from the towers, but they would communicate that back to the fort nearby, who could then send out you know, shells, fire at the ships, which never happened. But those are supposed to last only twenty years. Those towers, concrete towers. And they're mm-hmm. still there. They exactly. still, they're still standing, yeah. And uh, I didn't realize at the time, but they had glass windows, and they had wooden decks in the center, and they had a ladder that went straight up. And all that's gone now. It's just a concrete shell. And they, yeah. they put in metal stairs, but it's pretty cool, and it's pretty amazing engineering that it's still standing, you know, since 1939, 1942. They're still up. See, the, see, that's a very different conversation here because, like, we have castles that are still standing. <laughs> Well, you had me there. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I, I get what you mean, because when, I, when I, um, I lived in America for a little bit um, and, you know, you travel around and, um, you know, so many Americans have such a great sense of history for like, you know, what's been there for like 100 years or 70 years. And, you know, like I, you know, lived in a house for seven years that was probably 200 years old like you know but we we totally <laughs> take it for granted i'm not i'm not saying my country's older than yours just that like we we i think that a lot of us are kind of very oblivious to just how old things are here you know yeah um jordan and i took a trip up to belfast and we're looking at this old like the 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 relic the remains of a, of a monastery and stuff and um you know like it, it was interesting watching it through. It was her and her parents. So it was interesting watching it through their eyes. Because, like, me and anyone I know would be like, oh, yeah, whatever. But, like, seeing it through their eyes and they have, like, a proper sense of, like, scope, the scope of history. It was, it was, it, it's, um, uh, it kind of reminds you just how, how, um, how crazy it is. The thing, like you said, like, like things are, are still standing, like, hundreds of years later. Oh, yeah. 
well, the towers I'm impressed by because they never intended for them to be standing that long. Sure, and sure. And yeah. it just turned out that way. I mean, those castles, they were built to withstand a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, something else down by the beach area that if you're ever in the area, I'll take you there, is uh, the Dogfish uh, Brewery. Uh, there's a, Actually, the pub is there in Rehoboth Beach. And whenever I go to the beach in Delaware, and by the way, in Delaware, there are beaches. In New Jersey, it's the shore. And in okay. California, it's the coast. So <laughs> in Delaware, it's always beaches. Is that because I'm just looking? Is because they're basically an inland? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And they're pretty nice. But the um, the Dogfish uh, Pub, uh, they just renovated it. And I hadn't been there since they renovated it. So this is great. I mean, I want to go there when it's really active for like uh, the weekend because they have a full stage now for a band. And it's it's huge vaulted ceiling, you know, big warehouse type ceiling. And they have a second store. I actually put this on my uh, Facebook and Twitter where it's kind of like a second level to it. That's not the full level, but part of it. You can look over the balcony and see everybody down below. And uh, they have great beer. You know, it's been around. They started doing microbrews in 1995. They're one of the first ones in the U.S. that started making microbrews. It's, it's, it's mad how um, uh, microbreweries and stuff is, is totally turned into a thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, like massively um, here as well in Ireland, like we're generally, it's like Guinness, Bulmers or Heineken. That's it. You know? <laughs> and um, in the last few years, especially like, um, uh, yeah, microbreweries are popping up all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They've really taken over. It's great. Yeah. It's a nice selection to have the, the we have um, and uh, a guy who was with us for last year. He was um, who I was apprenticing whenever I go for a drink with him. Like, oh, what are you having? And he'll be like, Oh well, you know, like what's what's the? He'll be asking for some mad name of something, and I'm like, just is it Guinness or is it whist? Like I just want the name of something, but it's always like red red crab fever, as you know, or some mad thing that's just been invented. I'm like, <laughs> I, this isn't a restaurant. Just what's your? Give me a basic drink I can order that I'll remember <laughs> in two minutes when I get through everybody at the bar, you know. But um, I'm just a yeah, I'm just a bit. Old, I'm just getting old and curmudgeonly. <laughs> hey, it's speaking of bars, your book, the original graphic novel Savage Town, opens up on a bar, I believe. And uh, uh, yep, that now is that coming out on? Uh, I've seen different dates, but I think the book's coming out on September twentieth. Now that's right, Jess. Yes, okay. Okay. okay, and the title is drawn from a rising gangster, Jimmy Savage who's getting pressure from all sides, the police, rival gangs, even his mammy. His mammy is giving him a hard time. And the story takes place in Limerick City, which, if I understand, that's an actual town in Ireland? Yeah, yeah, it's a city. I, I lived there for about seven or eight years. I went to, I studied in art college there, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's like Dublin, Galway, and Cork are the more well-knowns, but Limerick is kind of the uh, the underdog city of Ireland, I would say. Okay. So when you created the story, you wanted the houses, the buildings, the bars, all to look authentic, especially during that period in the early 2000-ish. So how did uh, Philip Barrett do on the book as far as getting the look that you wanted? Uh, the Phil, like, as, as regards the look, Phil did amazing. Like um, uh, I'm from Clare, which is fairly near to Limerick. That's how I ended up uh, living there for a while. But um, um Phil's from Donegal and lived in Galway. So I lived in Dublin and is in Galway. So he's not from Limerick either. Um, but he did a great job of uh, of like, well, one of the reasons I asked Phil, he's got this brilliant kind of ability to kind of capture the Irishness of things, you know, like the people and the places and the objects. And so, I mean, I, I, when I asked him to draw it, I knew he would already kind of nail that that feeling. But um, 
Uh, there's like the, the the one of the opening streets is a, is a street I know. Um, I mean, I didn't want to get too into specific reference reference places. I mean, there definitely are some reference places. There's a chip shop there, which is renowned in Limerick. I had to get that in there. There's there's a few buildings that are well known around the city. Uh, I, I definitely want to get them in there. But you know, a lot of places changed, um, especially since then, since two thousand. Um, streets are gone, have been replaced. Um, uh, pubs have closed, businesses have closed because, of course, the recession happened a few years ago. So, like, Limerick has kind of had a bit of a renaissance in a lot of ways. But what Phil Phil managed to get like so much right and, and then add in more stuff that even I hadn't really um, considered. And this is your first attempt at writing a true Irish comic. Um, and I'd like to know a bit about the background of this that. I understand there was an Irish renaissance of film in the 1990s, and now there's a renaissance of Irish comics. And for our American audience, what were some of the key films of the 90s from Ireland? And, and now, today, what are some of those key Irish comics? Um, well, good, good, good question with the films. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I think The Snapper was a ma- massive influence. Um, there's a very famous uh, – have you ever heard of The Commitments? Oh, yes. Yes, I have. Yeah, that's based on a book by Roddy Doyle. And Roddy Doyle wrote three books, part of, I think it's the Carrickstown trilogy. The second book was called The Snapper, and the third is The Fan. And there's been films made of each one of those. Um, or maybe the films are the trilogy now that I'm thinking of it. Maybe I'm slightly off there. But The Snapper is one of them. And then that was about like a young girl who gets pregnant before she's... You know, she's still living with her parents and she doesn't have a proper boyfriend. And back then, like, stigma would have been massive. It would have been set, I guess, in the in the late 80s. But, um, you know, that was a snapshot of working-class Ireland. And that's kind of, you know, the life I had when I was a kid. Um, and I, I remember th- watching it not too long ago and thinking, I'd love to see that in a comic, you know. But um, but other films uh, that, would have been, that I think would have been... Uh, that were, were big big deal for us was that uh, the general i think it's a john borman film um uh jim sheridan's uh in the name of the father you know and they're all about different things you know one's upset about you know during the, the troubles um the other one is set like and it's, it's another crime film basically it's actually the generals was definitely a big influence on um savage town as well because it's about like crime gangs during the um i think that was during the 80s as well um it was kind of Taking the subject matter and looking at it through an Irish lens is 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 what they did so well, and I kind of I hadn't seen that in a in an Irish comic, certainly not one that I, that would be like known well in America, you know. How about the uh, the comic renaissance that's booming now? Oh man, it's mad! Like, so even if I'm going to take the snapshot of of Irish creators that are working in mainstream comics, there's myself, there's Stephen Mooney, there's Will Sliney, um. There's Nick Roach, there's Ruth Redmond, um, there's uh, Stephen Byrne, Nate Stockman. They've all worked for Marvel or DC. Um, there's others working in smaller companies like, say, uh, Dynamite or uh, Boom. There's, and that's just, say, like, you know, industry stuff. As regards, I mean, uh, there's this, a huge small press kind of uh, community here as well. Um, there's, like, you know, um, there's the kind of the more um, indie scene as well with people like Sarah Bowie and Patty Lynch. And, and also Phil would have been from that scene as well. Um, the, he feels kind of like one of the, I would say one of the first 
kind of indie guys in the country and they they would put together lots of like small press scenes and art fairs and um uh kids workshops and stuff it's um in the last i'd say five or six years it's blown up like crazy you know now that you mention it you've mentioned all those names i'm like yeah those some of those are my reading pile i've read some of those books yeah, Nate's on Spy- Nate is on Spider-Man Renew Your Vows at the moment. Nick Roach is known for Transformers, but he's doing the same book. Ruth Redmond colors Deadpool. Willis Sliney draws Spider-Man 2099. Um, Stephen Mooney draws Hapas Danger and has done uh, Grayson and uh, um, Midnighter. Like, you know, Stephen Byrne's been doing Green Arrow and uh, Power Rangers Justice League. Uh, I'm losing, like, I'm I'm losing track. <laughs> <laughs> Now, your first book as a creator-owned title was Injection that you did along with writer Warren Ellis. And I know you wanted to write Savage Town, but you didn't feel comfortable doing that, drawing Injection and writing and drawing Savage Town. That's a lot of work. So instead, you focused on writing it. And, of course, you have uh, you know Philip doing the art. That he's, You're a longtime fan of his art. What did you first see of his? Caught your attention and you're like, that's the guy I want for my book. Uh, it's a hard question to answer because I, I've known his stuff for so long. Um, he's always been doing like little strips and having them in anthologies. Or he did these things, uh, one-page notes. He'd be like, note to Liam. And would do a little drawing, like, uh, I mean, about the character, you know? Uh, like things or things things associated with the person. Um I've seen him at like conventions consistently over the years. Like he's been drawing comics longer than I have. Um, I think he was uh, involved in a small press scene in uh, in Canada as well. Like Phil's been around a long, long time, so I just knew his stuff. I think it was thinking outside the box a little bit and not not thinking of like, you know, well, I mean, like guys like say Mooney and Will and Nick and all those. They have their own careers and and their careers are basically getting by doing work for higher comics. So I couldn't just like ask them as, hey, do you want to do this book that I don't know if it'll sell or not? That's too much to ask them. So I had to think outside the box a little. Um, and uh, and so Phil was, well, Phil, I was a big fan of Phil's. But what drove me crazy was um, I couldn't buy a book of his. The only, the closest thing to a book is um, he's done these kind of like Where's Waldo type books with the, uh, um, the leprechaun character called Where's Larry. They're brilliant. They're basically... If you look at the, it, it basically looks at different parts of Ireland, different like um like the Cliffs of Moher and uh, Dublin, and you see all these loads and loads of people, but inside there's a leprechaun somewhere and you have to find him. Um, but they're beautiful books. He he, he did those, and uh, he's he's done some collections of his short stories and stuff. But I really wanted to read like a proper book, you know, a proper self-contained long-form story that he had he had drawn. Phil doesn't have those resources, you know. He's he doesn't he doesn't get paid. Uh-huh you know the type of rates that marvel or dc do so he basically just does it in his spare time um so for me i'm like well well if i you know phil could do this and if he could i finally get to read a, <laughs> a book of phil barrett's um so he's really the only person i kind of considered because I, I knew that like i would be too busy like i'm finding my time between drawing like a mainstream project and a um and injection and managing that schedule trying to factor in something else that like you know, I, I wouldn't be able to afford to not make money on something for a while, you know, um, like I can if I'm writing it because uh, I can get by on like my my illustration rates and whatnot. But um, I just had to kind of realistically go, well, do I wait until injections finished, which isn't going to be for another year um, or at the time when I was planning it two or three years. So um, 
I just kind of had to figure out, well, if I can't do it, who would I want? And Phil was really the only name I considered. Um, I just knew what he would do. Would st- I mean, um, I, like some people kind of said, oh, his stuff's a little indie. At, and, and that's, you know, his stuff is a little indie. But I figured if I'm going to do a book that's going to kind of be a different reading experience, if I'm trying to show something different, then I might as well just go the whole way and and really make the book as 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 individual as I as I could, and Phil, well, as I could. Phil is the one who did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you both delivered on that, and you came up with the idea a few years back at the uh, MidCon party at the Thought Bubble Con. And I have a couple questions about that. One. What is that con like? Because I've never been to a con outside the U.S. And two, what do you remember from the party, if anything? Well, they had, uh, well, first of all, Top Up was a brilliant show. It's an absolutely brilliant show. Um, and what they do on the Saturday night is throw a mid-con party. Was it the Friday? I think it was Saturday, yeah, where they'll basically take a venue and it'll be just a party for everybody. And it's kind of tough getting in sometimes, thankfully, for a guest. You're a guest. You kind of you get on the guest list. And they, they've, they've had it in some really lovely buildings. That year, they had it in the Leeds Hall, which is where they're actually going to have the show this year, I think. And it was weird... It was very weird and awkward. <laughs> like I love the show and I love the guys, but whatever whatever they were doing that year, um, there was like one bar and myself and um, Stephen Mooney were uh, having a couple of whiskeys or something, and um, there was some something being projected on the screen, but what happened on this big big screen? But the problem is when everything's when something's projected on a screen, everybody ends up looking at it, which made it very hard to kind of like. It wasn't a proper film or anything. It was just like visual. So everyone's kind of gawking in one direction. And it's very made it very hard to have a conversation. But um, I saw Phil there and I'd been thinking about it for a while. So um, I, I just said like, here, look, man, you know, no guarantees or anything. But I, I was thinking of, of like writing a book. You know, I'm working with Image Comics right now. I, you know, it's going well. I think maybe, you know, if I pitch something, I'm not saying it would be approved, but maybe it would if it was there'd be an actual proper publisher. It wouldn't be self-published. It wouldn't be something where you and I need to print 10 copies and, and, and huck it at shows. It would be an actual proper book. You know, I want to make something properly Irish, blah, 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 blah. I was kind of trying to give him the, 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 the hard sell of what I wanted it to be or what I had in mind. I didn't necessarily have the story as such. I had a very rough story, but for me, it wasn't really about like quote unquote, what happens in the book It's just kind of like how the book felt, um, what the reading experience would be. And um, he seemed into it. I mean, he, he said like, oh, yeah, sounds cool. So once I knew he, I mean, not was on board, but was interested, I kind of fleshed things out a little more. I was able to show him kind of like harder because of because of injection, I kind of had a better idea of like, you know, how much money, uh, you know, uh, it, you, you could kind of get by on, you know, what would be what would be sustainable, you know. And, and I said like, well, we could do this and not be poor. You know, we could we could do this and cover our costs, basically. And knowing that we could make a book that wouldn't put us in the poorhouse, you know, that we, would be published and would be of quality. Um, Phil was really on board with that. So from then on, I'd say that was probably about two years ago. Uh, from then on, he was definitely on board. Um, and we just kind of tipped away at it. Top, top, sorry to go back to your first question. Uh, top of is, um, well, an, an American wouldn't know what the show is like because American shows are um, somewhat more um, capitalist for... No, that sounds that sounds like a very... Um, uh, sounds like a communist. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, well, I, I noticed that basically when you go to American shows, it's kind of about money, like, you know, selling your stuff, 
selling sketches, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, traditionally at UK shows, you kind of just go there and if somebody buys your book, you do a sketch for them. Um, it's changed more recently where now you kind of, you, don't, you do charge, for, you know, you do uh, charge for sketches and stuff. But the, the, the important thing about Top Bubble is that it's a festival. So, you know, there's no actors, there's no, you know, there's no media celebrities or anything like that you basically go and it's just filled with say artists like me or you know writers like kieran gillen you know people who've done some comics but there's also kind of like people who do their own web websites uh do their own zines do you know do web comics they might be designers they might be doing making their own badges it's a weird mix of kind of like you know um of 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 mainstream comics with indie comics with um artists of all different types it's kind of what makes it really exciting is when you walk around there you just don't know what you're going to see it's all it's all people just making stuff um loosely around the banner of comics but at least it's a craft whereas you go to say american shows and things are loosely under the banner of comics i.e games or movies or you know media whatnot um it's a really inspiring show. You can't you can't go to that show and not want to make stuff afterwards. It's 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 brilliant. It sounds wonderful. It sounds less like a, a an exchange of material goods or money and more of an exchange of ideas that kind of inspires people to go out and do their own thing. Uh, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, there's people there selling their comics and you know buy their comics. Everybody, please. Um, that's that's certainly um, it, it's not some kind of utopian um, uh, fairyland or anything. <laughs> sure. uh, it's just um, it's it's more about the, the the medium than the celebrity. I guess you could say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I appreciate that because I would love to meet some of the celebrities that go to these cons that appear, but I have a really hard time paying an extra fee on top of my admission, a large fee in many cases, to pose with someone who is posing as my friend for a photograph, I just, you know, I want to just yeah, be like, hey, man, let's have a beer. Hey, how you doing? I, yeah, I'm the same. I, yeah, just, I, know I can't mean. do it. I know. it. Like, it just feels so insincere. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I'm a delight. I, I can jet away <laughs> nobody. I guarantee you, if I five minutes those people, they'd just put their hand around me anyway and take a photograph. But um, no, uh, well, we just had a show in Dublin two weeks ago, and um, that was great. There was lots, again, Irish people just kind of like doing their own comics and doing their own sketchbooks and stuff. And it managed to coexist with like the media side of it. It had Deanna Troy from Star Trek. It had, um, it had uh, who the hell else was there? I don't know some people. Oh, the Flash from the original show, stuff like that. Um, excuse me, I had Kevin Conroy, and I saw Kevin Conroy, and you know, I'm like, well, I go up, but you're like, eh. I just like I know it's what's how they make their money, and I have no problem with that at all. I just, I just feel weird paying for the opportunity to talk to somebody. Now, I did a New York Comic Con last year to talk to Jed Zia Dax, but I'm fine with that. Like, I'll make an exception. <laughs> um, but um. Uh, yeah, like, like, and the, the, those shows are great, and you know, in a lot of ways, you kind of need them because um, it brings in um, a, a certain um, element of the public who aren't familiar with comics, are familiar with nerdy things, and they will come in there curious about comics. So I sold a lot of um, injections and um, moon nights and stuff, and you know, some of those people had never read any of that stuff, or they didn't know who Warren Ellis was and stuff. And um, you know, you got to remember that audience are people who are they're, they're you know, we can't just keep selling to the same audience over and over again. I mean, I love people will buy Moon Knight and they'll come back for Injection Volume 1. They'll come back for Injection Volume 2. Brilliant. But, like, 
you know, you want to try and hit as many people as you can uh, as a potential audience. Um, and uh, it was a good show for that. I think it was a good. It's a good. Um, I, I was calling it a comics curious audience because you have your hardcore guys, but you also have like. You know, a, a guy with his kids who's looking to just get something for them. They don't know what they're looking for, you know? Yeah, no, that's a great point, though. And, yes, you do want to try to expand your audience and not just keep hitting the same one over and over. And I think Savage Town will definitely do that. Um, and one of the things I want to talk a bit about is Jimmy Savage, one of the central characters, the central character. He's not lovable. Uh, he kind of reminds me, for lack of a better comparison, to Tony Soprano who was flawed, emotional. <laughs> yeah, like, this is basically, this is, the, this is the quote we should have. Basically, an Irish rip-off of Sopranos. Because um, <laughs> I, I found the more I was writing, the more I was getting into it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. And, you know, I just kept finding, like, this is kind of like in The Sopranos where, or this is kind of like where, you know, it was really getting to me. But I talked to a couple of friends about it, and, and you know, they made a good point was that, you know, The Sopranos was a TV show that basically took the crime genre, the mafia crime genre, and did everything. You know, it played with, um, it played with like, uh, you know, basically toxic masculinity to a large degree, and, and you know, um, you know, it, the identity, you know, the Italian American identity, and how it clashes with the Italian identity, and. You know, I, I, Italian Americans who have nothing to do with the mob, and you know, you had Italian Americans watching mob films in this mob show. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very postmodern that way, and um, they did so much in all those years. So after a while, I copped, I just kind of went like, "Ah, oh, look, fuck it, I'm just going to tell the story I want to tell. If there's parallels, that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll just have to deal with it." But um, no, I, I mean. I was, I mean, Tony Soprano is definitely the kind of archetype I had in mind. The um, the lovable thug, the um, the sympathetic um, uh, monster, the you know the antihero, as it were. And like I, I, especially because like you know this book kind of tips into real world stuff a, a little. I didn't want to have a character I was glorifying. Therefore, he couldn't be a hero. He's also a criminal. Um, but there's also like there's a dangerous line like so when when the film um, the general came out I don't know if you've seen it but it's Brendan Gleeson it's like the first big film he kind of did um, as a leading man and it's fantastic it's really really great I love that film a, co- a few years later Kevin Spacey played the same character in a film called Ordinary Decent Criminal and it was a fucking mess like you'd think like just as good an actor you know but, you know, the accent was hammy and it was playing up for laughs and a lot of awkward ways. Um, the balance between kind of like drama and humor wobbled an awful lot. Um, whereas uh, with with the general, it's, it's not a funny film. There's funny bits in it, but there, it's definitely like a crime film as such rather than, a you know, a caper. So I kind of wanted to I wanted to be more in that kind of wheelhouse than, say, having a, a you know, a wacky roguish character because he's not a rogue he's he's a he's a fucking prick um but uh, i think in the humor and the character or the there's a certain everyday man quality to him um that you kind of get on board with fairly fairly quickly yeah and i i don't mean to say that it's like the sopranos because that's my poor comparison but one thing about the sopranos is that you know they look at those movies about gangsters and they're kind of aspiring to be like that and that's the ideal and they're not there there's no illusion on Jimmy's part about what this is all about. 
There's no that's true. Yeah. you know idealized version of gang. I mean, he's just in it, you know, and that's just the way it is. And just just that he's an emotional guy, you know, and he's got a, a real anger uh, to him. That's what or I see the comparison. But outside of that, one thing that makes it very very unique and original and Irish is the dialect. And I will tell you that I had no problem whatsoever reading the book as an American. Like I wasn't like, oh, this is a little tough to figure out. What kind of what does that mean? Not at all. It flowed. Oh, Christ. Very, yeah. Oh, thank Christ for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was easy. It was great. Maybe because I'm half Irish. I don't know. But it, it actually, it wouldn't be the same without it. It'd still be a good story. Oh, but it would be very different. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, that, that was your intent after all. And it really did work very it, well. Well, it was. I mean, like, the, the you know, like I said, look, if, if, if this book doesn't do well, I'll be fine. I'll be working Injection. I'll be working the Marvel stuff, whatever. In that there is something kind of freeing about going, fuck it, you know, I'll just go for it. Um, and rather than tiptoeing around something because an editor said you can't or something like that, you know, if I'm going to go for it, I might as well just um, use my whole ass, as it were, instead of being half-assed. And um, I, 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 I certainly, especially with Limerick, the Limerick accent's very specific. And, um, you know, I didn't do the dialect exactly like the Limerick accent because there's just some words that you wouldn't be able to read um, if I had. And I don't I, I didn't want to lose the reader. I find sometimes sometimes a lot of books when they do the dialect thing, it's more um, it's more off putting and takes you out of the story. But what I was hoping was that, especially with it being, a gra- I mean, I, I plan to do this whatever whatever format the book was going to be. But I think the advantage of it being a graphic novel is, is once you start reading it, you've kind of, you've you've signed the social contract of reading the book. You're, you mean if you've bought it, then you're probably going to read it. Um, so you'll just get on board with the dialect rather than fighting it. Um, rather than if this is a single issue, you might just kind of like not bother after twenty pages. Um, and I tried to make it in a way, I mean, luckily, because Jordy's American and the editor is American, that if there was anything really jarring, they'd kind of bring it up, you know. Um, and I tried, I, like, this isn't 100% Irish dialect, but I'd say I'd say it's 90%. Um, the 10% of, of reining it back in was myself editing it to a degree where I just, like, especially the first page, there's a couple of terms I changed because... Um, like there's a term um, as somebody uh, uh, I think I had the line that his mother his mother fucked him down the stairs which here would mean that he she fucked she kicked him down the stairs basically but when I when Jordy wrote the first page read the first page of script she was like you cannot say that because <laughs> an American <laughs> will just read that as she had sex with his mother um, so I had little kind of things here and there where something would be would be lost in translation but uh um but for the yeah i I just try to ease it in the beginning but then um i i felt i what i wanted it to be is i wanted it to be something that brought you into the world more than anything else um it was something i loved about um uh the wire is uh how you know you're in the first season especially it's very hard to get on board with it because you don't really know what the hell people are saying half the time yes yes you know it's mm-hmm. like street slang mm-hmm. uh, you know, about red tops and x y and z and on the other hand it's about like you know dunkers and red balls and and whatnot and you're like what the hell are they talking about but after a while you know because you you commit to the show it because it actually becomes a very large part of what bring of 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 instead of being something you need to, to get through you end up being enveloped by the, the kind of the work and um it was an attempt in doing that um 
I don't know if it worked, but I mean, it sounds like it worked on, on you a little, so that's good. Well, I think it helps too that it's a graphic novel because once I start reading it, I get into the rhythm of it and I actually start thinking that way. <laughs> so yeah. it's easier than taking a break from it month to month, reading other books, and then you have to kind of get back on board and get right in the right mindset. But this, you know, now that you're in the book for the whole read, and you can see chapter breaks, but still, I think it, it just settles better that way. And it plays better in your mind that way. And you just kind of get into that whole rhythm. No, good. I'm glad because um, actually it, I thought it was working so well that uh, I, sw- I I don't know um, to get to the bit where the, the Brit comes into it. Yes. Yeah. Like, and so um, we made sure his lettering is different um, and that, you know, he doesn't talk in that accent. Because what, what I kind of like about when I get to that bit is by, by then you're so in the world of Limerick that when an outsider comes in, no matter where you're from, they're an outsider, you know what I mean? Um, that just by just in just the lettering, that person is, is seen as an outsider. Like you could be from wherever when you're reading the book, but that, that that's something that um, I, I hadn't anticipated would work until we were well into the book. But um, I, I've, I'm particularly pleased about that. Well, I was lucky to see the book early. So I've seen most of it colored and then I saw it not colored. So I had a chance to see how Jordy's coloring influenced the book. And then just saw the pencil and ink work in black and white for the latter half of the book, which was great. So I could see how that contribution of her coloring really changed the tone of the book. Yeah, I mean, you saw, yeah, the, the stuff you would have seen, uh, it's all done now. I mean, it's at the printers uh, as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, it, oh, it looks so good. Like, I was talking to uh, I was talking to my friend Mooney recently, and uh, he was saying, oh, are you happy with it? And I had to say, I, I don't know story-wise. I'm way too close to know if this is good or not. I think I could objectively just pick up the book and just know it's good. As in just the quality of the work, the the cover, the design, the Phil's work, Geordie's work, Clayton's work, um, Emma designer too. It just like it 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 will it I'm confident it'll feel like a quality book. And sometimes I don't know, you just pick up a book and go like this feels like it's good, regardless of like how intelligent or not intelligent the writer is. Um uh, and and yeah, like what I mean, what Phil Phil what Phil did was amazing. But um, I mean, I've seen Jordy color so many artists, and you think I would just get jaded at this stage with like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's brilliant, I guess. But um, no, even with Phil, like you know, who is essentially kind of you know an indie, um, zine artist, you know, for 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 the most part, because that's kind of the work that he gets to do, um, uh, that kind of. You know, Jordy having worked on so many projects and working with Phil, um, there was just so much nice stuff came from it. Um, like uh, uh, the a lot of nights. Like I kind of wish I'd written the whole book at night, because Jordy's what Jordy does with color at nighttime is fantastic. Um, uh, and it really, there's a scene um, by a bridge later on that you probably would have seen in black and white, but when it's it, in the color. Um, Jordy's used like the red light from the backlights from the car to, mm-hmm. to illuminate Jimmy mm-hmm. just sells it so much more this moment of 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 of, of dread you know um, it's uh, like I kind of compare a colorist to a cinematographer but I mean when with Jordy especially it feels like she's the cinematographer of a film she doesn't just color it in like Phil's work is basically looks like a coloring in book because of the the open lines and the kind of um soft uh, roundness to a lot of what he draws um it's it's lovely so you could just color it in paint by numbers but Jordy just knows what to push back she knows what to soften she knows what to kind of go bolder with um 
she sells she sells tone and atmosphere and character to her color color choices um oh man the book looks so good i'm, I'm delighted like um uh but you know writing wise eh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no well, a couple observations about the book. One, um, I think in terms of the art, you know, saying that oh, some people might say that's a very indie looking art style. Well, I think for something like this, uh, a book with uh, gang violence, I think it tends to work better and it makes it very different. Otherwise, it would just be a very realistic looking gritty book. But this really makes it kind of realistic in that it's set in a real city. But yet it's um, it takes some of that bloodiness out of it in a way that it's done in a more indie style, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder sometimes what would it have looked like if I had drawn it, you know. Uh, I I think that had I drawn it, I would have really liked it and I think it would have been a good book. But I certainly think what Phil added to it has just made it much more what I was hoping it would be, you know. I could have, I mean, the pacing wise, it's how I, it's how I paced it, you know, um, with Phil's kind of approach in mind. So it's definitely like, there's a lot of similar, I mean, even the last, the last, the last chapter of the book, actually, I did the layouts for, um, we were kind of running uh, low on time and just to, as a time saving measure, um, you wouldn't necessarily know it because I feel that like me and Phil had a really good kind of, um, simpatico basically with, with how we were doing it. But, um, there's certainly an element of character to what he draws i mean people faces but also buildings and objects which would have been a little bit more technical had i drawn them um you know you know what i mean and i don't know uh i i just think that the quality i was looking for was something that he delivered more than what i would have delivered it lets the dialogue really show through and the dialect uh, you know, it works very well with it. It doesn't overpower the, the visual. Uh, and, but I have to say the cover, though, man, that really jumps out at you. The both, you know, the way it's drawn and the colors. Thanks, man. I think that's like the way I see it. It's basically a no-name writer. I mean, I know I've got I've got like a profile from art, but this is I haven't drawn any of this book. So that's out. Uh, Phil is pretty much an unknown writer uh, artist. So you basically have a team of unknowns. Jordy is the biggest name in that book. Um, <laughs> so I knew with the cover, I, I would talk to a couple of retailer friends of mine and be like, oh, well, what if I had this for the solicitor text, yada, yada, yada. And they're like, yeah, this is great, but what you really want is a strong cover. So I, I remember keeping that in mind. And um, uh, Phil had loads of options in the book. We actually have lots of different cover, cover concepts in the back. But um, uh, there was one, that one with Jim, with kind of basically Jimmy taking up the whole space. I was like, ah, oh, that's got to be the one. And Jory didn't like it because she said it looks like a cover you would do. But I think that's why I liked it. <laughs> um, I think I think it, it feels like I, I genuinely forget sometimes that I didn't draw it. You know what I mean? It's 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 just it's symmetrical. It's big. It's bold. It's in your face. Um, and Jory did this great job with them. Um, the way she coloured it was she kind of planned it as if it had been done uh, in screen print and misregistered, you know, deliberately misregistered some of the, the, the colour places because, um, and it was really sweet actually because it was a nod to for me because when I lived in Limerick, I studied in art college and I did printmaking. Um, so I had, I had done a lot of screen printing when I was there. So I think that for her was a little like nod to my time in Limerick by making that look like, uh, you know, a slightly misregistered screen print. And um, I think Emma's title really is what smacks it into into gear as well. The kind of um, tacky tiger print going through the the text. I am, um, yeah. We just needed a cover. Uh, it's bright. It's red. It was red, green, yellow. It basically looks like a color wheel explosion. Um, but uh, 
I, I guess I'm a little used to seeing it now, but I think I think when it's on the stands, hopefully it'll really pop. Yeah, definitely. And even like in the catalog when it was solicited, it really popped off the page. So it definitely made you stop, look at it, and at least find out what it was about. This book's coming out. We talked about it's coming out in September. Do you have any future desire uh, or plans to do some work for hire in addition to your indie work? Has anything come up that you can share or that's in the offer? Uh, well, yeah. Well, I am literally just wrote the fourth script for um, uh, Deadpool versus Old Man Logan. I don't know if you knew. I, I'm okay. writing – uh, uh, that many at the moment, um, which has been tremendous fun. I just finished it, and I'm like, oh, I wish I was drawing this. Um, um, that's been fun because it's very different to to Savage Town in that the objective is different. You know, like I'm trying to tell a story that entertains, but at the same time, I'm trying to like hit a certain certain kind of themes in it that'll just make it more than just complete. Uh, uh, nonsense and violence um but no I, i'm really enjoying that i get to do the covers for that too and i kind of pushed for like a, a different type of title design because they do a lot of um those devil versus books and um there's like loads of great guys have done them but i i really wanted to try and i was lucky in doing the cover and you know writing it i i had an element of control over the presentation of the book so i'm kind of hoping it'll stand out in the, on the stands as well that's out in october um I'm also writing. I've written a written and drawn a Venomverse story. This out September second. Um, I think it's September second. The the first week in September anyway. Um, and that's uh, with uh, Chris O'Halloran coloring it. But um, that was great to do because again, just writing and drawing is is great fun. I I don't. I take those little those kind of small gigs because it's 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 cool to take the toys and play with them and then put them back in their box. You know, I really yeah. like that. Um, but um, uh, other than that, it's it's injection basically. I'm 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 wrapping up the last issue of uh, this current arc of injection, as uh, so it will take a, a a break and bring out start bringing out volume four next year. But I I have to say in this last year of kind of like writing and drawing, writing and drawing, you know, as in one job is one thing and then two separate jobs. I have I have enjoyed, I've enjoyed it a lot. It's been great to kind of um, you know work on something like injection with warren which is like really challenging and really exciting and, uh, and really interesting and then kind of like playing in limerick for a bit of my head you know and then going back and drawing like a punisher cover and then going back and playing with limerick i really like having the um i like having a couple of different projects to kind of play with because it keeps my like i'm never going to get sick of creator-owned when I'm doing something like injection, but especially if I get to, you know, cause you get the urge like, Oh, I'd love to kind of do a draw Wolverine. But instead of having to sign a one year contract to draw Wolverine for a year, I can just like write a story and do a couple of covers, you know? So I get to kind of scratch my fanboy itch as well, along with my pretentious creator owned itch as well at the same time. Um, so I can have no control over what will happen in the future, but I think I, I would really like to kind of do that. I'd like to kind of, if I'm going to draw something um, creator-owned, do work, you know, write something work for hire. If I'm going to write something work for hire, I'd like to to. If I'm going to draw something work for hire, I'm going to. I'd like to write something creator-owned. I'd like to keep a a, a, a toe in each um, pool. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that metaphor has gone off the walls. No, I understand. The variety is the spice of life. And, you know, for me, like with this podcast, I don't hyper focus on one thing. I mean, some people can do that. Like, it's not like the Batman podcast, all about Batman. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, I love stuff like that, but I think I would get bored. 
and talking to different creators with different styles and different interests. To me, it always keeps it fresh. So I'm the same kind of person that even like with my day job, it's got to have variety to it. There's got to be a lot of different things going on because I'd much rather be really, really busy than bored or get bored. Oh, man. You know, that's I the remember, worst. I think I heard somebody on the street go, oh, I'm so bored. And I wanted to turn around and strangle them. Like, I haven't been bored since I was 15 years old, you know. Um always something to do i mean variety is great too much variety might be is a bad thing i guess because uh it's hard to get anything done but um yeah no especially when like i was working in injection solely and uh geordie's you know she colors like she's coloring spider-man today she'll be coloring batman last week she's coloring what was she coloring uh different spider-man issues she's got a graphic novel to work you know she's working on too um she's writing she wrote redlands uh, the other day uh, and Warren's like, you know, doing Wildstorm and Trees and, um, you know, Castlevania cartoon. Like, like it's so cool. Like, they get to work on all this different stuff. As an artist, it's really tough because you're basically putting every egg into one basket, um, which is tough because, you know, it takes a long time for that basket to move. That doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um Sure. To fully commit everything into one thing um, can be scary, but also is a massive time investment. Um, and I will say, Injections moved a little slower this year because of Savage Town, but I'm going to be so glad to have won this amazing creator and project that I work on with Warren, which, I mean, I feel is going like is going to be one of the proudest things I've ever done when it's finished. I know it's going to feel... It feels relevant. It feels important. It feels like it's the best work of my career. I'm I'm so lucky and fortunate to be on that 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 project, but it's also going to be great to have something, excuse me, um, Irish centric, with an artist who I really admire, um, telling a story about Ireland, that's published with an American publisher. Like there's, I'm, I'm so fortunate. I get to basically have have so much opportunities and make the most out of what's available um uh it's uh it's a lot of work staying on top of it but um you know maybe in a year or two i'll sit down and go huh well that's all done (laughs) you know (laughs) it'll be easier from the other end but um but uh yeah no i think i'm just rambling now sorry (laughs) that's all right well you know you have your work for hire stuff you have your creator and stuff but outside of that your own work you're helping other creators too through red cube studios or Red Cube Studio, rather, because you have done some internships, uh, one-on-ones, and I know you don't think of yourself as a mentor, but now having done it, do you still feel the same way? Did you learn anything about yourself from working with others, working with interns? Um, it's a good question. Um, um, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's hard. I'd actually, I'd have to think about that more, to be honest, to answer it honestly, but um, I... Um, I think, I mean, I think it was really spearheaded by Jordy. I mean, Jordy is very, very, very giving. I'm way more self-involved. Um, I've, I suffer from tunnel vision, so I'm only ever really concentrating on what's right in front of me um, or what's right next to me. Um, Jordy, living in Ireland and, you know, kind of uh, been so wrapped up in her work and whatnot, I know she wanted to kind of, like, give back a little. And all of us, like, both myself and, like, Jordy wouldn't be where she is without people who helped her along the way, and the same with me. So, you know, there isn't, like, I think it's starting to change now. I think there's a new course here in Ireland, maybe. But, like, you know, if you want to be in comics in Ireland, it's tough because there's not, there isn't a publisher here, you know. Um, it's not like, this. it's not the same as if you live in the UK or you live in America. Um, so, 
you know, she she took on an intern for a while and uh, oh, sorry, hit my laptop there. Um, she took on an intern for a while and uh, her name was Ruth Redmond and she kind of trained with her and assisted her a little bit and you know helped her with she kind of helped us with chores a little bit around the house and and helped us uh, live for a while there. But um, and now she's like coloring Deadpool and Spider Man at Marvel. Um, that's amazing. It's 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 what's been really gratifying in seeing those people really kind of you can only open a door for them you know you can't make them walk through it and you'll meet people sometimes who are not prepared to walk through that door and if anything i've learned is like i've no fucking patience for that shit <laughs> um that um we're just too busy to kind of not w- to waste time but like there, there's people who are scared and there's people who are are unprepared but there's just some people who aren't willing to put the work in I think some people look at comics and they see certain people having a great media, social media profile and being mini celebrities. But like that is that's all bollocks. It, you can't get anywhere unless you're willing to actually sit in the chair and get the work done. So, you know, we've been looking that the people who have applied or people who do put the work in or they have they have put their money where their mouth is. Or um, so we, we kind of when we moved to a bigger apartment, we set up like officially set up as um a quote-unquote studio and we took on some interns so jordy took on dervla kelly and um rebecca nalty um and both of those are working professionally now i think dervla has got a money penny one shot out soon that she colored and rebecca's doing a new boom book that can't coming out today maybe i think crap i can't remember um and uh, I took on a drawing apprentice last year and uh, he's kind of he's wrapped up now. So and he's drawing centipede for dynamite right now and doing a fucking hell of a job. Um, Jordy took on one guy for a workshop as well. His name's Chris O'Halloran and he just did his first Marvel job coloring me in that Venom thing. It's 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 great to be able to kind of share your fortune a little because you know, frankly, because me and Jordy, we can't do everything. We're very lucky that people, um, you know, ask us to do a lot Um but uh, also as an investment, because, um, you know, who knows where we'll be in five years and maybe we'll need to cash in on some favors. <laughs> we can talk to the, the, the next superstars and go, huh, you wouldn't be where you are without me. Give me work. Uh, so maybe it's not actually something that's virtuous. It's something that it's uh, it's simply a um, Machiavellian move. <laughs> so those internships have wrapped up and you plan more possibly for 2018? I think so. I will. I'm not, I'm not sure as of yet. Jordy and I'll be getting married next year, so I don't know if it's realistic to take somebody on. Right. Leo get married. You, it might be the case where instead of her taking on colorists and me taking on artists, why don't you just pick one? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. We we kind of once once Owen finished and then the the two girls finished, we both kind of said let's just take it easy for a bit and maybe concentrate on ourselves a little because it's it's you know uh it's tough to have free time it's tough to kind of make any plans it's tough to do things i mean in, in a great way like we've got a support structure with those those guys and that um me and georgie will have to go away for a weekend and own look after our cat for us you know we're so like it's been like we have a little kind of community around us which is which is excellent but at the same time um i think we need to maybe especially with the the writing and everything i think jordy and i are just this year with writing and next year getting married i think we're just going to concentrate on ourselves but i'd say i I think jordy and i well jordy especially is far too giving um and if i see somebody who i think has potential it'll be hard for me not to kind of 
want to jump in and get all up in their shit and tell them what to do. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. So yeah, I think we're yeah, we're shifting priorities right now. But I mean, but we kind of want to keep that kind of the the awareness of the student of the of the internship mm-hmm. alive because you know when we do open it up again. Christ knows where Owen's going to be, and God knows where where Derva is going to be, and you know all these people will hopefully have worked their way up more in the industry, which will only kind of be a better example to anybody who's coming in. You know what I mean? And for anyone coming in, when the opportunity does arise, they have to get to uh, Ireland, and it's not yeah. a pay, it's not a paid internship. No, and they have to work. There's a lot of work. Yeah, dishes. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, what we did is what we did with Owen was that he. Um, he came in one day a week uh, for, it was like nearly a year. Um, so he came in and he'd have like um, a one-page story he was doing for an anthology. And I'd basically rip it apart and then he'd come back and it would be even better. And then he had like a three-page for an anthology and then he'd have it. So he kind of like kept upping the the, the level of his, um, of the, the page count. But, you know, he also had a great support with his mum who like basically said you know if you want to come home have a studio to work in i mean that's that that cannot be that is so big you know so he owen was basically working full-time and drawing on the side that's really tough to to really to really hone your craft it's really tough to do on two days a week um so uh yeah so Owen was very fortunate but yeah he'd come by one day a week and um whatever he was working on we'd look over we'd come create mini deadlines or if there's conventions coming up making sure he had sample pages you know told him to like basically remove all of the, his artwork online and start brand new and it was just little things like you know uh, you know starting a twitter and you know doing fan pieces here and there just little tiny little ways to kind of like help yourself it's partly presentation you know uh, a lot of drilling in work ethic too like jordy jordy gets a hint of a bad work ethic she rips people apart mm. but uh, it's basically slow training you know you can't just take somebody for a couple of days and change everything about what they do but um if you you know if they're able to to take the time and slowly work you know chip away at it then you'd be surprised how far a, a year flies by and well, hopefully too, you'll instill some good habits, some good work habits. Yeah, a lot, a lot of it's like seeing this thing I'm doing. Don't do that, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, and you know, also frankly, spotting some bad work habits too that, that you can you can you notice. I mean, I think Owen Owens does his layouts the way I do them, but he wouldn't have known about that yet. He'd not been sitting down and seeing me doing them, you know. And it's it's really it's impossible to really teach that, you know. It has you have to be in studio observing and learning. Um, there's no book to teach you how to do that exactly. You know, I wanted to also ask you about uh, art cred. It's something you had brought up, and it was through a hashtag, art cred. And I wanted to give you a chance to speak a bit about that problem where other people on the book, the artists, uh, the letterers, the colorists, sometimes are not getting the same credit as the writer, especially when those comics later become movies, TV shows. Tell me a bit about that. Has that improved at all? I, I think it's improved a little bit, at least on the, the cover of some books. I do see now more and more, especially on yours, I do see the entire creative team listed. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it has changed um, for the better a little. Um, then there's like some st- – I remember I'd say a few months ago I was thinking, yeah, things are much, much better. And then like two or three things happened, which were awful – and just seemed like loads, big steps back. But um, essentially, art credit is um was just it was basically just a hashtag I made to catalog stuff that was I thought 
for lack of a better word, problematic. Um, you know, recent examples is when I remember Robert Kirkman and um, Corey Walker's Invincible was being made into a film by Seth Rogen or something. And I saw good things like the Hollywood Reporter, which is not a comics news site, list Corey Walker and um, Ryan Ryan Otley as co-creators on, of the book. Um, like, great, brilliant. That is not what I would expect. Because sometimes med- the big, big media outlets are unaware, they get it wrong, because they just don't know comics. It's frustrating, but it happens. But then all these comic sites started re-reporting that new that that news source but just said robert kirkman's invincible now how many fucking issues of a book do you need to draw to be considered a co-creator for one you mm. know what i mean like how mm-hmm. many issues is ryan Otley drawn to that book um it's just people like, like and and omit like it's brilliant for for kirkman i mean fair play to him but like what if ryan had another book of his he does doesn't he remember he did tiger shark and squirt it's a mad yoke on the side there but like so much of these kind of media deals are so writer centric and you know say you're not going to see producers look at the the artist back catalogue and an artist back catalogue takes many many more years to build a writer can build a back catalogue within three years and have like loads of kind of titles under their belt uh, for, for, for an artist it's much 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 harder so the odds of like any kind of media stuff like really kind of investing back into their, into their career is very very low now that's just you know an unfortunate reality I'm not saying that's going to change but the odds could certainly improve if those things didn't happen you know um, but even in the smaller context you have you have comic sites refer excuse me referring to things like um, let me think what's a good example um Oh, Brian Bendis's X Men, um, uh, John Hickman's Avengers, um, Jerry Duggan's Deadpool. You know, like whereas artists have worked on those books, they've done months and months and months and months of work, and they're basically just airbrushed out of the conversation because it's it's not as convenient. You know, um, it's so hard as an artist to kind of build your career up, build up a a body of work. Um, when you're essentially work for hire, you're essentially, I mean, a double shipping is a, is a huge part of this too. It's a big, big problem. Um, uh, there's loads and loads of reasons for things happen. There's marketing reasons it happens. There's, there's, there's silly editorial practices that happen. I mean, DC weren't crediting colors for a long time. I mean, you know, Geordie's name being on Batman can only help the fact that she's got her name on Redlands right now. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And Jordy adds so much to to all the books that she's on, Vision, uh, Deadpool, all that stuff. Like name recognition is what sells books. That's why, the, you know, that's why publishers put names on the covers in the first place. I think there's sales re- sales reasons why they wanted to kind of like downplay some. Like I saw um, uh, Black Panther. They had the writer's name, big bold letters, and underneath illustrated by Brian Stelfreeze. Brian Stelfreeze is a legend in this industry. You know, like. But but to, for him to just be, you know, the the asterisk at the bottom of the writer's name, that that shit drives me crazy. Um, and how many comics do you need to draw if, like Brian Stelfreeze has to be considered on equal footing? Now I understand because the writer's a big name, you know, uh, put the name on there. But you know what? People are going to spot his name anyway, no matter how big it is. Put the right put the artist's name right up next to it because they are co-creators. They're collaborators. They are. We'll put it this way. I'm just a very rambly way of saying this. At its core, art credit is essentially about 
making sure the artists are seen as co-creators of the work. Yes, that's, that's kind of it. You know, they, 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 I, you could have the best idea in the world, but it doesn't matter anything if someone if somebody isn't drawing it, and it doesn't matter if you've got extensive character bios for every single uh, every single character. They do not exist until somebody draws them, until somebody tells that story. Now, I think. My argument is is more centered on artists because, like this, I, I, this is the more egregious examples. Colors are kind of used to being moved to the side as are letterers. I think colors. I think colors have done much better in the last few years um, for like galvanizing and kind of like insisting that they share uh, they share ownership and then, and and Jordy especially she. If there's a creator on book and she doesn't have ownership, I, it's very unlikely that she would even do it. Um, those things are important to her. As creators, basically, your your the work that you've done is represents you. And if you can't even get your name on the work that you've done, how are you possibly going to build a profile of the work that you can do? You know. So this is probably this this is probably a little rambly. I haven't talked about this in a while, so. No, that's okay. Are. No, I bring it up too because this it would have been the one hundredth birthday of Jack Kirby this month. Who and- never heard of it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Uh, the general public, you know, that they have seen all these Marvel movies, and I know they put the credits in there now for the artists that worked on some of those uh, movies, like, you know, like Captain America and Iron Man. But even so, even some of the general public still doesn't know who Jack Kirby is. They know who yeah. Stan Lee is because, well, he's around, he's outspoken, he's the front man, and he created a lot of great stuff. But without the artist, it would have been completely different. And it's still sad, and I, I went back and read a copy of uh, Compo Creator by Tomorrow's Publishing, and I got the first issue, and it focuses on Jack Kirby, and it talks about how he wasn't a great businessman, and how he really got taken doing work for hire, not owning any of his stuff, not getting, having a hard time getting his art back, Every, hor- horrible story. But like, even today, to be, uh, to be you know? fair, To be fair, and I'm not speaking of Jack Kirby uh, specifically here, but like in, in I will say that artists do bear some responsibility here, because we sign bad deals. And we write contracts that we, or we sign contracts that we shouldn't, and we don't read the fine print. You know, like I'm seeing loads of Punisher T-shirts with my art on them right now. I don't get anything from that, mm. but I knew that deal going in. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that that's that's just. Did I? It was. Uh, do you want to work for Marvel Comics? Here are the conditions. Fuck yeah, I want to work for Marvel Comics. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but I mean, I read it and I saw that, and that's you know, that's them's the breaks. But you know what it does do is make me make sure that if I'm doing injection, that I own X, Y, and Z, and and that me and Warren co-own that book with Jordy. Like that, that is. That's where those things kind of matter more to me. Um, of course, we didn't have those options. Like you've heard that story, haven't you? That Jack Kirby made made most the most money in his career off one book he did at Image. No, I, I I'm not. I, I've heard it from a few places. I'm sure if you look it up, you can find. Apparently, when Image came out, Jack Kirby did one thing there, and he made more money on that than he did at Marvel because it was just a page rate. He didn't own any of it, so he just got more for a higher contract, which is insane. But um, <laughs> um, but like, but you know, but the the the, the businessman element. There, I mean, there is an element of that. You, your your craft is your livelihood, so you should know how to manage your craft. Well, that's that's a good point. Yeah, you do have to take some responsibility. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying like oh, Jack Kirby would lose her. You know, the options available to creators now are not were not available to Jack Kirby when he was uh, starting out. Even though he's like the king of the medium, um, uh, he didn't have those, a lot of options weren't open to him. Th- then again, some were, and who knows what it, what could have uh, gone differently. But you know, there's a lot of artists who just want to hide behind the scenes and just do the work, whereas those writers are the ones who know who know 
who are able to sell. You know, Stan Lee, bless him, knows how to sell. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He did it and he pushed the books and there's a reason why everybody knows the Stan Lee. It's not just because he created those characters. It's because he was a salesman. Um, you know, is it unfair? Yes, but I mean, he did do all that stuff. He did push the books. He did get the brand out there. Um, I can't, again, I cannot speak for Jack Kirby, but I, but I suspect he was too busy drawing <laughs> to be selling stuff like that. But I think, I think in the, today's creators, today's artists do need to step in front of the work more be, to be seen to be creating it, because if they're not seen to be creating it, it'll be assumed someone, someone else did it or it was done by magic somehow. Um, I think it's why colors are doing better is because they're demanding to be seen. Um, and I think a lot, I think you're seeing, if you take a look around, I think you're going to see a lot more artists turning to writing. And um, I've seen it happen in the last year. I'm seeing it happening more this year and more into next year that artists see how, just how much writers benefit from, uh, uh, like, look, man, I, I just, I just wrote a book that's coming out. All I had to do was write the thing. I've done loads of press, I've done loads of prep, I've done loads of, you know, the writing, the research, the, you know, talking to lawyers, making sure everyone gets, you know, proper split, um, you know, talking to, you know, rights, yada, yada, yada. It's been a lot of work writing this book, not like doing this book that I wrote has been a lot of work. Writing the book has been a certain amount of work. I'd say it's been more work, like project managing the book. So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying... It, it isn't work but in the scheme of things man just drawing is it takes so much effort so much more thought so many more hours in the chair um damn right they should be making they should be they should be seen as co-authors and they should be seen as um uh the the, the create co-creators of the work but yeah you have i think you have to step in front of it and, and seeing seeing how other writers can kind of do a whole make the most out of a little um, I think a lot of a lot of artists are going well. I can do that too, and they can't draw, so I'm going to do it for myself. Tying into that about artists, now I just wanted to get some feedback from you about this. That when the reviews are written, a lot of times the person writing the review doesn't know a lot about art, so they really can't speak to it very well or really critique it. Now I am not a critic. Like I might put out a book recommendation. But I don't sure. really feel really right doing a review or rating something, you know. Um, so, for those who are critics, what do you think they should do to better hone their skills for critiquing art? Are there references? Are there things they should learn first before they go about professionally or as a hobby critiquing something and rating it based on how the art looks? Um, well, that 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 is a good question. I would say look at film reviews. Mm-hmm. Those who do film reviews know a bit about the craft. Are they filmmakers? You know, for the most part, no. But they understand what lighting is, and they understand what acting is. They understand what casting is. They understand. They understand how a film is made. They understand you don't just pick up a camera and follow somebody around. You know, they they educate themselves on the medium. I think what happens with a lot of comic critic critics is because because they think they can write. As in, they write because they write reviews, but they maybe it's because they one it might be that they want to write, so they're more interested in that side of the craft. That happens a lot. But I think because you read something, you think you can write about it, knowing nothing about how a comic is made. You wouldn't find any, you know, theater critic who would be who be critiquing without knowing how theater is put together. 
you know you wouldn't find a the same with same with any critic in any kind of you wouldn't find a food critic who doesn't know how to cook you know what i mean uh would they be the best cooks in the world you know probably not and do they want to be a cook probably not either but they have it they do understand they've educated themselves on the craft if you do want to be writing criticism of comics then you know learn about the craft read read how to draw how to draw the marvel way read uh, Bendis's book on making comics. There's a great podcast series or a YouTube series called um, Strip Panel Naked that um, uh, that started about a year ago. And uh, Hass, the guy who does that, does a great job of like breaking down comics visually because he's a filmmaker at heart. So he he looks at comics through a visual lens, effectively. You know, um, know what three, know what tiers are know what you know the 180 degree rule is just you know certain terms which like you know reciting the issue of wolverine and saying why you didn't like it isn't really a review you know it's not Mm. it's not a it's not a criticism of it to properly critique work you need to understand it can everybody understand art no you know but it's a subjective thing but if you don't know anything about it then you you really can't critique it you know um in my mind uh, you don't have to be an artist to critique art, to critique to, to critique art. But you know, you know, you're going to know what paint is. You know, you're going to know what canvas is. You're know, you're going to you're going to know what composition is. Like, educate yourself on the basics, and also, you know, look at bad stuff and figure out why you think it's bad. You know, if if there's a if there's a work you really like, maybe the script is online. See the difference in between how what was written and what made the page because so essentially what most uh, assume is that everything that's on the page is what the writer came up with and as somebody who's writing for an artist for a couple of artists now it's definitely not the case you know as someone who's written from the script definitely not the case but you're not going to know that unless you actually do your research so if you're serious about doing it then be serious Excellent advice. That's very good advice. I actually got how to draw the Marvel way just to understand art better, so I can not critique it. But it is. It's a great book. It's been a while since I've read it now, but it has the basics in there. Like Mm -hmm. anything I learned about comics afterwards, like that was an excellent framework, you know. But you know, um, you know, I like you know, I've gotten books on composition. So I mean, I don't, you know, finding the time to read them all is is tough. But like. You know, if you really care about what you're doing, no matter your craft, be it drawing them, writing them, or critiquing them, then you're good. You know, you if you want to, do you want to do it or do you want to do it well? I just have a few questions before we wrap up. These are the the fun questions: rest and relaxation. Declan, what do you like to do for rest and relaxation? Can't remember the last time I've done it. Um, <laughs> uh, no, that's not true. Myself and Jordy uh, uh, bunked off during a weekend, and we uh, we saw two films, and it was amazing. Just to kind of not work for a day and just. Because I, I think I've described it before as um, when you're working creatively, I feel there's like there's a creative well, you know, deep inside, and you know you're always pulling from you're always pulling water from that well when you're when you're being creative, um. But you know the well can go dry if you're not filling it back up with stuff. So you know I, I they, that's what I kind of like to do. I like to, you know. Oh, reading i really don't get to do too much reading but like um you know watching films or listening to music or um just vegging out sometimes it, get, it lets the brain basically kind of reboot and um uh soak everything back up but um uh, i do i don't i don't re- i don't rest and relax that much if i'm going to be honest with you man um it's mainly producing work but um uh, i will say getting out of the house is key um 
change of scenery helps too. Me and Jordy, we went to Bristol a few weeks ago just for the weekend for her birthday. That was that was just to get just to get out of the headspace basically because you you'll be surprised what you bring back with you. Um, but um, it's generally it's watching films and TV shows that I haven't had a chance to watch because I've been too busy working. Well, when you do get a chance to read, if you had an island book, the one book you could take on a deserted island, what would that book be? I would probably be Batman Year One. I think that one, I mean, the thing is dog-eared, but like, I think I could read that a hundred more times. I still love it. Um, uh, trying to think, is there another one I can uh, Yeah, or or maybe Planetary, the complete Planetary. Uh just just get more value out of it. It's so, so much bigger. <laughs> right. But at least I can have the whole the whole thing, you know. <laughs> do you also have a beverage of choice? Your go to drink? Uh I do. Um it's called uh Bulmer's Irish Cider. Yeah, I'm more of a I'm a cider guy more than a um I'm not I don't like beer at all actually. Uh, uh that or Jameson's. I do I do like uh do like a Jameson's here and there. Is the cider more popular in Ireland than here in the U.S.? I mean, we do sell cider here, of course. But... Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's more popular. You get it in any bar here in Ireland. In America, it's it's uh, you know it's uh, yeah, it's kind of fifty fifty at best. I would say in America, um, like being in New York wasn't too bad, but it seems to be getting more popular. The more I go back to the states, the more likely it is I, there's a cider being served. Well, I'll have to try one, and I could probably use one right now. <laughs> it's been a long day. Well, Declan, thanks so much, and I am looking forward to see your original graphic novel come out, Savage Town, on September 20th. Folks, I've read it, and it's worth checking out. It's something you want to check out. Tell a friend. I mean, it's truly Irish, and I think you'll really enjoy it, and there's something very unique about this book, and it's all there in one book. You don't have to wait. Declan, thank you so much for being on Creator Talks. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creator Talks. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe, it's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod, that's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site, I'll be posting my recommended reading picks as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one, your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works, and you never know who it might be. It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.